Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. And uh, please open your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. In the first service, I got to welcome them to our first ever sunrise service. Um, <laughs> with the time change, and uh, they were all in this morning, and I trust you will be as well. Well, if you're just joining us, uh, uh, we are week 12 in our series through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Through the Gospel, we're kind of taking large chunks. We're really going through the Gospel of Matthew probably like you would be reading your Bible on a regular basis at home, and uh, uh, these large chunks uh, include some large chunks. Last Sunday, Uh, We were 50 verses in uh, chapter 2, and this Sunday, you look at chapter 3, and how many verses are there? 58 verses. Here we go. You are thinking, how in the world are we going to make this through in 40 minutes? And uh, I didn't quite make it in 40 minutes last service, so Lord God, help us, okay? (laughs) So I'm going to do my best. Here we go. I'm just going to take a couple minutes to get this set up. I'm going to take a few minutes to show you five or four visual things out of the text, and then we're going to dive into the text. I want for you to know this. Today, as we go through this chapter, I'm not going to be outlining the chapter. I'm not going to be even in depth explaining all the chapter. I'm wanting us to Uh, evaluate ourselves as we go through. I think this is, we can be there just like the original learners. You need to understand that the disciples didn't have everything we have today. They didn't have a full New Testament. And so all of what they were getting was fresh and new, and Jesus is doing something, causing something, and I want for us to kind of be there and look at our own hearts as well in this, and, and to see what God is doing in us and to see what's happening within us. So we're gonna go there. Um, From here on out through the rest of the book, it is just be with Jesus, okay? Kind of had some outline points so far. It's he he comes, he's teaching healing, and then uh, it's see how people respond. I just want for you to know, from here on out, we're just walking with Jesus, okay? And I love that fact. We get to just be with Christ and observe him and take him in, and so that's what we're gonna do here uh, in these coming weeks as we go through the rest of the book. in chapter 13, so let me show you four visual items out of the text. I think this will not only help you maybe in how you do study, but it'll help you understand even what this long chapter is all about. So you can see the whole chapter up on the screen. The point of it is not for you to be able to see it or read it, or so if your eyes are like blowing out of your mind right now, that's not the point of it. I usually don't even put the text up on the screen because I want you to have your own Bibles open on your laps working through it. I think it's just really, really important. But I wanna show you a couple things. So visual item number one, uh, you can see here that there's a lot of red. Uh, now, if you have a red letter edition Bible, red is put in, uh, is all the words that Jesus is speaking. So whenever you see a chapter like this where there's a lot of red, what does that mean? Yeah, there's a lot of Jesus speaking. 
So we know that already about the text. Visual item number two is throughout the text, there's the word parable or parables. Uh, 12 times, I believe it is, that the word is throughout this whole text. So already we have an idea of what this entire chapter is about. It is about Jesus speaking about or in parables, right? We don't even know what's in the text yet. And we already know kind of what the flow and the movement is. Uh, parables. Uh, uh, parables, a uh, plat says it as uh, they're, they're practical stories that illustrate spiritual truths. Practical stories, uh, oftentimes similes, that, that uh, show spiritual truths. And, and that's what we're going to be seeing in this text. Visual item number three is the term kingdom of heaven. The term is used eight times throughout the script, throughout this chapter. All eight times they are used and spoken by Jesus. So what's the chapter about? We haven't read a word of it yet. The chapter is about Jesus speaking in or about parables that have to do with the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, okay, with me? So already in the whole chapter of it. Now, uh, kingdom of heaven, I, I want us to be, because the whole chapter has this kind of feel to it, I want us to feel that through the whole movement of the text. So on the side screens, I wanna put up uh, an entrance into the palace of Versailles outside of France. If you've ever been there, it's crazy awesome. But I just wanna say this, kingdom of heaven, if that's what man can build, imagine what God can build. Okay, so there's a feel through the text of the kingdom of heaven. This is just my parable pictorial attempt to keep it in front of us, all right? Visual item number four is there's a few words right around the kingdom of heaven. In the beginning, it says to know the secrets of, uh, then maybe compared to, and then it's is like, is like, is like, is like. Here's the whole text, all right? We, have, we haven't even gone six minutes yet, and we already know what the entire chapter is about. It is about Jesus speaking in or about parables, about the kingdom of heaven, and what it is like. With me? So that's where we're gonna go, all 58 verses. And we're gonna try and cover them in like the next 33 minutes, okay? Buckle up. <laughs> Here we go. So let's go to verse one, and let's work our way through. We already know where this is going. Let's follow it on through and learn some things about parables and even our own hearts. Verse one, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. Are you picturing this? You should be. Don't just read words, picture the whole thing. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. I just want to say, there's something very interesting about this. Because I love social study things. There's times where I've thought, man, I'd love to get deeper in just studying people and how things work. Did you see what just happened and what's happening here? Jesus, back in that day, when the teacher would get ready to teach, he would sit and all the people would stand. And they would stand while he taught. Our world... This is not fair. <laughs> you sit, I stand. Now, sometimes I sit for various reasons with that, but I think maybe today, maybe we should do biblically. <laughs> yeah, all the new people are like, this is the last time I'm coming here. Okay, but isn't that interesting? I think it's just really interesting. So Jesus is in a boat, crowd standing, 
And Jesus is teaching, verse 3, and he told them many, many things in parables, saying, here we go, parable number one. By the way, there's eight parables in this chapter. Here we go. A sower went out to sow, to plant seed. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came and devoured them, ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. He who has ears to hear, she who has ears to hear, let him let her hear. Parables. The way Jesus finishes this first parable is an invitation to think. I've talked about this so far, uh, especially in the last couple Sundays, about Jesus invites people to think. Um, and that's what this statement does. He who has ears, she who has ears, let him, let her hear. It's an invitation to be thinkers. Listen, the Lord loves people that think, okay? This whole idea that it's a crutch, that it's just following, no, no, this is for thinking people. The word of God is driven for people to think, and it calls them to think. Also with this, it assumes that some will think and some won't think. You see that? Jesus is already understanding that in this, some are going to hear and some are not going to hear. Also with it, it means that parables were meant to be understood. Uh, over the years, uh, at times I've kind of sensed sometimes from people that it's like they get irritated that Jesus speaks in parables because it's like, why didn't he just state it out on like a bullet point outline? Like, can he put it in a PowerPoint? Hey, um, parables are meant to be understood. Parables are not meant to disguise. They're not meant to confuse. They're not meant to like wiggle out. They're not meant anything to annoy. They're actually meant to be understood. And that's something very important to understand. Parables are meant to be understood. Another reality with this is uh, parables put the responsibility on the hearer. They put the responsibility on the hearer. Uh, some are going to think, some are not. He who has ears to hear. She who has ears to hear. Here, Jesus is saying, I will speak, and now it becomes your responsibility. Very interesting. Verse 10, so after this parable, then the disciples came and said to him, oh, why do you speak to them in parables? <laughs> They're just like us. Why are you doing this? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Hold on here for a second. Whatever Jesus is about to speak about, whatever the it is, by the way, the it is the kingdom of heaven, 
When Jesus is about to speak of the kingdom of heaven, he includes in here that there are secrets of it, that there's been mysteries of it. That Greek word is used in the New Testament other times. Paul uses the words. In other words, there are, them, there are things that, that God has withheld from being said, and Jesus is now saying there are things that have been withheld by God in his revealing work over time that now he is about to reveal to you. Secrets are about to be made known, and you can know what the secret or mysteries are in that. By the way, that right there, I love mysteries. I'm, I'm, I've been uh, reading some novels. Uh, my kids don't know who I am anymore because I'm reading novels. Um, and in that, I'm not a big reader, but I, I've become one. Sorry, that's not in my notes. Um, and so in reading, I love reading mysteries. And in that, but mysteries draw us in. They're just like, who did it, man? Like, who did it? And this is one of the things about this. This is the kind of thing when Jesus says there are secrets as opposed to going, why is there secrets, man? We should be like, oh, there's a mystery here. Come on. Come on, I know it's daylight savings times, but you're not that energetic right at the moment about this. Okay? It's like, listen, there's some mysteries here. Okay? <laughs> that was so sad. I gotta keep going. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. Chapter 11, Jesus talked about that, and I talked about how in verses 25 and 26, the, the father reveals, the father hides, the son reveals, the son hides. And I gotta tell you, in that, uh, Karen and I were driving, and we were talking about these two texts and this week, and, and, and Karen just goes, you know, I don't like that. And I understand. There's something about that that, I still to this day can't fully put my arms around. Why would that be the case? But I just want for you to know this. We could bypass it, and we could twist it, and we could turn it and deny it, but Jesus just says it again. He's like, not gonna let it go. Something is going on here in this that, that is a spiritual reality of what takes place in it. And uh, the Lord is wiser and bigger and more knowing than you or I. So I'm gonna leave it in his hands and trust him that it's all good and well. Even when I scratch my head at times. Verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. By the way, that so ties the very last verses of the chapter. Uh, verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Why? Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. There's a responsibility on the hearer, verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have actually closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. By the way, again, do you feel the weight of the responsibility on the hearer and the seer? 
God works in people's lives sovereignly, and yet there is also responsibility on the hearer and the seer. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, he's talking to the disciples, for they see, and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Here then, the parable of the sower. It's really, it's cool, the dynamic and how Jesus is always the teacher. He gives a parable, disciples come and say, hey, um, can you explain that to us? And he's like, uh, before I say yes, I can, I've got something more to teach you. And now he's at, let me instruct you. Let me instruct you. Here, then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words, the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, The evil one, by the way, this is about spiritual truth. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his or her heart. This is what was sown along the path. Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, on account of the word, which is the kingdom of heaven, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word of the kingdom of heaven, but the cares of the world, the cares of, let's call it, the kingdom of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word of the kingdom of heaven and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixtyfold, and in another thirtyfold. I'm telling you, friends, Mark chapter four, I love that chapter. Half of it is this parable. You could spend the whole time on that, but here's the question I have for you. You hear that parable, does it draw you into want to know more? This is the kind of thing toward, listen, do you understand what's happening here? Jesus is giving a parable about how you can know if you are in and a part of the kingdom of heaven. Not just how you can think you can know, how you can know it. And he says there's four kinds of responses to that. And I don't have time to go into all four of them. But listen, the Lord is telling how you and I can know if we're a part or not. By the way, I think soils two and three are not a part of the kingdom of heaven. They are ones who have a quick interest, but after a little while, the things of the world, oh, is that so America? The things of the world become more titillating and satisfying and and, and attractive than actually the kingdom of heaven. I don't think they've ever been saved. They're just chasing squirrels for what's their next thing. Let's pause here. We're about halfway through the chapter when we've only got one parable or seven more to go. Obviously, that means the speed picks up with the length of the parables or they shorten. So let me four things on the table right now, okay, as we go through. 
Four things about parables. You can kind of put them in two sets. Number one, parables teach. Parables teach. We've already alluded to kind of all four of these, but parables teach. They teach spiritual, divine truths. They're intended to be understood. They're intended to draw in here. By the way, I love parables. I'm a visual person. I'm a verbal, visual person. So all of those who are not visual people, sometimes you get more annoyed with parables than those of us who love visuals. And because parables, they teach through this vivid picturing. Now, know this. Parables are not left to be vivid for your own self-interpretations. Jesus had a meaning and an intention behind the parables. And, 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 the, and the, the, the goal is to seek after what Jesus meant, not this game of all these kinds of like, ooh, that happened, let's throw that in, ooh, that meant it. No, 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 Jesus is doing that. Usually parables have one main line of truth to it. And parables teach teach divine truth. Secondly, parables and trust. We've already alluded to this. Parables kind of leave it in the hands of the hearer to whether the hearer is going to respond and take or not. Parables leave it to where someone can go, okay, whatever. Parables can leave it to where it's like, That's a, I just wish you would hurry up, Doug, and get to the three-point outline of that. Can I say this? Uh, there's no three-point outline today. Because parables were meant to be visualized. And if we were at a lower altitude and we were taking this chapter in like two or three Sundays, we could more do that. But I'm keeping it at a high level. And I want you just to picture this. And it should be having a drawing effect on you in that. They entrust, in fact, that leads us to the, the third item, parables draw. They draw. In their teaching and entrusting divine truth, there's a way about them that they have this ability to draw people in. Also, fourth, parables repel. Parables repel. In other words, it's kind of like soil number one. It's more of a bold repelling where it's kind of like they hear the truth and they're like, nah. And the spiritual reality going on is that it's being just truth is being taken away, but there's also a subtle repelling. I think that's more soils two and three. It's kind of like, I'll try this for a while. I'll see what happens with this for a while, but there's no lasting fruit. Ultimately, it becomes, ah, that just didn't work out for me like the way I hoped it would. In other words, I wanted it to be exactly what I want it to be, and it didn't turn out to be what I wanted it to be. Therefore, because it didn't turn out to be what I wanted it to be, I'm out. By the way, say this. Who's the God of that relationship? Parables teach, parables of trust, parables draw, parables repel. I'm going to leave it there. Let's move on. 24. He put another parable before them, and they pick up speed. Parable number two. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Oh, he's going back to this old parable. No, no. This is actually a new uh, illustration. This is a new illustration teaching additional truth about the kingdom of heaven and what it is like that to them was a secret being revealed at the time 
and he's given a sewing, not a stitching, but a planting illustration because they're all farmers. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, the good seed, and went away. Got the picture? So he goes and he plants wheat. Then his naughty neighbor comes in the middle of the night and plants weeds. Verse 26. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Hey, if you're a farmer and you do that, weeds are irritating. You do everything to rid it of weeds. Not like I know, but I have a house and weeds irritate me. You too? Verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then, then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until when? And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, and gather the weed into my barn. I don't like the burn part, but I love the gathered into the owner's barn. Barns are cool, by the way. So what's the parable about? Hold on, Jesus is going to explain it in a little bit. And frankly, I'm not even sure if that's the important part right at this moment. Because the important part of this is, is it drawing you in? I mean, is Jesus speaking in these really seriously causing you to go like, I want to dive in more? Because do you realize this? The first parable told how a person can know for sure whether they're part of the kingdom of heaven. The second parable is actually telling about what God's redemptive plans is in time. Do you realize that the parable we just read about tells about what is going to happen in the future, even the future for us today? And if you have something laying before you that told you what was was going to happen to the future and happen in the future in such a way that it had implication on you and your eternal future, wouldn't you think that we would want to be drawn into that? I would think so, but I think a lot of times I'm not so sure we are. And I think what I'm getting at is, is no wonder the people in Jesus' day kind of yawned at Jesus, kind of heard him but went on with their lives, when I would say this, I actually think that's going on today as well. Jesus has just revealed some incredible eternal truths and are we drawn to literally even go home, study these out, dig these out and go, oh my goodness, there is a God who is in charge and is taking everything somewhere and he desires that I be a part of it. What do I need to do? I gotta keep going. Parable number three. Verse 31, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it, was, when it has grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Who cares? Think about it. We've just been reading in Matthew that Jesus is 
going around. He's got this little tiny band of guys. And everyone else is kind of irked with him. And I wonder where it's all going to go. If you dive into that, it'll tell you. Just tell us. No. Verse 33. He told them another parable, parable number four. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Leaven is uh, yeast, right? Uh, I'm not a big baker, although I did watch the British baking series. Um, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. By the way, those two parables kind of are interesting because they start small and it gets bigger. Okay, verse 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Not only do parables teach, not only uh, do parables uh, entrust and draw and reveal, but Jesus giving parables is also fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Listen, God has had a plan from the very beginning and all this chaos that you and I hear on the news and we're like, this is, this is a zoo. Know this. The Lord's taken it all somewhere. And even what was just said there confirms that. Verse 36. Uh, then he left the crowds, went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, uh, would you please explain to us the parable of the weeds? That was parable number two. And he answered them, absolutely. That's in the text somewhere. And then he says, uh, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, i.e. the kingdom of heaven. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The end of the kingdom of heaven age in the context. And the reapers are angels. My goodness, he's laying this whole thing out. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them in to the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I gotta tell you, I don't like that in scripture either. And anybody who gets really thrilled about that, I wanna call you to check your heart. Because do you realize what it's saying? It is saying that there are people who if they do not come to know Christ as their savior, there is an end for eternity that is not good. And I would love to just dish it away, explain it away, but I can't because Jesus keeps even bringing it up. And this should cause in our hearts not only a fear of who God is and for his holiness and righteousness, but also a love for people. Now, I don't want that to happen to anybody. What verse was I? Thanks, you guys. Verse 33. 43, 83. Oh, yeah, I'm down there. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom. 
By the way, they're not righteous on their own self-righteousness. It's only because of the righteous work of Christ. The kingdom of their father, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. She who has ears to hear, please hear what Jesus has to say. Parable number five, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. That sounds kind of like a dumb idea to us. Why would anybody hide treasure in a field? Well, because they didn't have banks. They didn't have online things. And by the way, we think our money's so secure out there, it's so not. I'm not trying to get into a personal thing. I'm just saying, listen, we, we think our money is secure, so we put it somewhere where it's going to hold for a while. And so back in the day, what they would do is, is if they put it in their tent, in their house, that would be kind of a dumb place to put it. You may as well just put it on the front entry porch of your tent. And so what they would do is they would hide things in a field or they would hide things actually in another field or they would buy a field and hide things there. The big thing is you have to remember where you hid them, right? As I get older, that would be a problem. So uh, uh, that's what's going on here with that. Uh, So the treasure is like a treasure. By the way, the truth of the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Not a hassle. A treasure. By the way, could I say this? What does it look like to share Christ with other people? Here's what it looks like. Share the treasure. Uh, Can I just share with you my treasure? That's what's going on. It's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Wow, that's pretty valuable. Verse 45, parable 6. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Wow, it sounds like lots of value there as well. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven. By the way, let me just ask this. How valuable is Christ to you? I've literally been asking that question of myself this week with it because I think we can just get comfortable Really, how valuable. Here it's giving us the idea that it's worth everything. Is it? I mean, would you sell everything and give it up if that's what it took to be able to be in relationship with Christ? Man. 47, parable 7. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the goods into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out, separate the evil from the righteous, throw them into fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Literally in my notes, have a sad face after that. Verse 51. And Jesus, if you will, turns to the disciples and he says, have you understood all these things? I want to encourage you, if you mark in your Bibles, I am uh, one of those people you would underline that question. I actually think that's the question of the day today. 
By the way, the context of it and the grammar of it isn't really giving the implication of, yeah, I got it all and I've got them completely understood and it's kind of contained in this idea of almost a growing into understanding of. It tells that, do you understand? Do you hear this? Are you being drawn into it? Or is it repelling? And here in this, he's asking us, do you understand this? By the way, it also tells us a lot about our Savior. He wants people to understand. Isn't that cool? I love that. He doesn't want to annoy them. He doesn't want to confuse them. He wants them to understand. And he's just given these vivid illustrations of this that we can take home. And when they're working out in the fields or when they're fishing and casting their nets, all of this comes back to mind and all of this is being brought back to them. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. It's interesting in the commentators on how they uh, reply to that because it's like, no, they didn't understand. Well, how do we know that? I mean, maybe they did right now. And oftentimes growth in our understanding isn't instant understanding to full understanding and maturity. It's like, yeah, I, I actually think I can get those pictures and I'm gonna let them expand in my mind as I dive into them more. Yes, I kind of think that's where they're at. Yes, Lord, we're, we're, we're understanding some things now. And he said to them, therefore, parable number eight, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, he's using a parable, scribes were uh, uh, individuals of the day who wrote down, gathered together the new and the old truths that they held to and made them a provision for people and for teachers and so forth, and they were teachers themselves. So here he's using scribes as the illustration. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, I might say in the context here, he's alluding to the disciples themselves, is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and old. Hey, uh, we have some battle going on in uh, some theological areas where it has to do with part of what's going on is some things are even being said by some really good people that the Old Testament is kind of irrelevant. I want to push back on that like in a massive way. The Old Testament is super relevant and super helpful in understanding God's work of redemption and revealing of redemptive history over time. And so here, not this year, but probably next year, I'm gonna be going back, we're gonna be picking up our series in the Old Testament. I've been from Exodus all the way through 1 Samuel chapter 15, I think. And we're gonna pick it up, why? Because the Old Testament is relevant, okay? Had to get that in. It's like a master who brings out his treasure, what is new and old. And that's a definition of evangelism right there. Verse 53, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he's finishing it all up here. He comes to his hometown and he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. Their minds were blown away, turned inside out, upside down, and I wonder whether they're gonna be drawn or repelled. 
And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Hey, hey, Bob, is this not the carpenter's son? Hey, Joe, is this not, is not his mother Mary? And are not his brothers James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas, not Judas Iscariot, a different Judas, his brother. By the way, there's a whole bunch of truth right there if you want to dig into that and think about some teaching about Mary and never having kids after that. Anyway, I'm going on. Verse 56, and are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Man, that's a great question. And they took offense at him. Repelled. But Jesus said to them, you irritate me. No. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. By the way, that goes all the way back to the parable talking about in verse 12. To those who do not want to hear, things will be taken away from them. This is all full circle. Man, I just gotta say this today. Chapter 13 is a big dose of Jesus teaching parables about the kingdom of heaven and what it is like. My question on the table for us today is what does that do to you? I could have outlined and gone into more detail what they're all about. That's not my objective today. We're at 50,000 foot altitude through the text here. But I think there is something in this that reveals out of us what's going on with us. Man, I'm telling you, friends, in chapter 13, the Lord has just given insight and information about all of redemptive history about where we are in redemptive history, about how we can know what's going on with us in redemptive history now and into the future, and I would think that would be the kind of thing that just draws us in, and I wanna encourage you this week, dive in. So Pastor Doug, what's the definition of the kingdom of heaven? Here it is, ready? Parable number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. Seriously, I'm done. That's the definition. It's now left for you to dive in. And I want to finish with a ninth parable. It's called communion. We could have the communion service get in place. Think about communion, the Last Supper. Jesus gives them an illustration of what's about to take place for him. He is about to go to the cross and have his life taken from him and crushed to provide life for sinners separated from a holy God. He is the one who steps in our place to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And the person who receives the seed, the work of Christ, and it is real, you have the confidence and the insurance and the hope of an eternity in his barn. Indiana people love that. And his barn in the kingdom of heaven is awesome. So if you know Christ is your savior, this is an opportunity for you here. While the song's taking place, if you would just come and 
and grab the cracker, grab the bread, and grab the, the cup, and just come back to your seat, and, and then we're going to partake together here in just, just a moment. And let's picture the work of Christ that he's done for us. Amen?